for your overall, Lord, your, everything we have is in and through you, in fact, Lord Jesus. We just want to acknowledge that this morning. We thank you for your great love for us, your great love for this world. And now, Lord, you long just to speak to us, your words of truth and life. And so we open our hearts to you now, Lord, wherever we are on the journey of faith, we just pray now that you'll help us just to hear what it is you want to say to us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. Just want to add my welcome to you. It's so great to have you sharing with us today at our 10 o'clock. Those who are joining us online as well, really big welcome to you. Today we're continuing our series in James, and we're going to be looking at James chapter 2, verses 1 to 12. It'll come up on the screen, or if you want to follow along on your device or in your Bible, you're welcome to do that as well. While you're finding that, uh, if you've been around Bridgman for a little while, you will have heard this story. But as I looked at this passage today, this experience just again came to the forefront for me. It was very, very much front and centre for me. Uh, When I was a teenager, I was a part of a father and son camp at the church where my dad was actually the pastor. And the camp was next to the beach. And as a group of teenagers, I was a teenager at the time, we decided to be fun to head down off the campsite, down to the dunes on the beach to launch some water bombs up onto the campsite where the dads were playing cricket at the time. And we had a special device. We had a bucket with some spear gun rubber that could shoot these water bombs quite a distance. And so we snuck down into the dunes and we thought we were pretty clever and we fired. We just launched one water bomb up over onto the campsite and we'd barely shot this thing when some, one of the dads came running down onto the beach to where we were with a very alarmed and concerned look on his face and said, you guys better come up here right now. You are in very big trouble. Not words you want to hear um, when that's just happened. And so we walked very timidly. I walked very timidly up to the campsite where there was a group of dads standing around my dad's car and the water bomb had smashed through the side window of my dad's car. And there's my dad and there's all these other dad standing around and then I walked very sheepishly up to this group and I stood there before my dad and uh, I was shaking in my boots I'll be honest with you I was very scared about what would happen and uh, dad simply said three words to me he simply said three words that struck deep fear within me he simply said come with me (laughs) not the words you really want to hear in that moment And so I did. I followed my dad and he walked across uh, the street of the campsite and across the road there were these shops there. He didn't say much to me, if anything at all, if I can remember. But we went into this shop and he bought a roll of plastic and then he bought some, some masking tape and then we headed back across the road to the campsite. And by this stage the crowd had dispersed. Uh, and he simply took me back to the car and he then proceeded to help me to um, tape up the window that I had smashed. He, he, he helped me to fix the problem that I had created. And this experience for me was a powerful experience of, of what God's love is like towards us. Because when I was standing in front of that crowd at the time, uh, you know, waiting, um, the, the people standing there were very eager to see what judgment was going to be passed out on me. They were interested to see what was going to happen in this circumstance. And I was very conscious that, um, of what I deserved. Everyone watching on knew what I deserved. But in that moment, instead of receiving judgment, I received mercy. 
And I want to tell you, it was such a powerful experience. It's left an indelible mark, even as I talk about it now. That's why when I read this passage, I just went, it was such a powerful experience for me of what God is like. And this is at the heart of this passage today, that God's mercy triumphs over judgment. So let me read this. Let's read this together. James chapter 2, it says this. My brothers and sisters, believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ must not show favoritism. Suppose a man comes into your meeting wearing a gold ring and fine clothes and a poor man in filthy old clothes also comes in. If you show special attention to the man wearing fine clothes and say, here's a good seat for you, but say to the poor man, you stand there or sit on the floor by my feet, you have discriminated among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts. Listen, my dear brothers and sisters. Has not God chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith and to inherit the kingdom he promised those who love him? But you have dishonoured the poor. Is it not the rich who are exploiting you? Are they not the ones who are dragging you into court? Are they not the ones who are blaspheming the noble name of him to whom you belong? If you really keep the royal law found in scripture, love your neighbour as yourself, you are doing right. But if you show favoritism, you sin and are convicted by the law as lawbreakers. For whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles at just one point is guilty of breaking all of it. For he who said you shall not commit adultery also said you shall not murder. If you do not commit adultery but do murder, you have become a lawbreaker. Speak and act as those who are going to be judged by the law that gives freedom because judgment Without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. Mercy triumphs over judgment. This is God's word to us this morning. And James is giving us a test here, a test of the reality of our faith, a test to see if the word of truth that James keeps talking about, the gospel of Jesus Christ, is what he means when he talks about the word of truth, to see if this gospel message, this good news message, has truly taken root deep in our lives. And James says here, if you want to know if someone's faith is real, if they've really grasped the good news of the gospel, then look at how they treat people. Look at their relationships with others. Look at their attitudes and actions towards those around them? Are they judgmental and critical looking down on others or are they full of compassion and kindness? Are they holding on to bitterness and anger and resentment or are they quick to forgive and to show grace? Do they show favoritism and partiality to those with status and power and wealth or do they see everyone as having incredible value and significance? As I was researching For this passage, I came across a number of clips of pastors who actually tested their own congregation in this this, um, whole passage here. In in a number of the clips, the pastors would actually dress up as someone in need, as someone who is homeless, camped out the front of their church, put some secret cameras up to capture what would happen, and then showed that video back to the congregation the next Sunday. Talk about tension in the room. You'll be glad to know I did not do that this week. I definitely did not do that. But the issue of partiality, it was, it was huge in, this, in the time James was writing because he lived in a world where everything was defined by class and social status and who had power. It was accepted, in fact, as the norm to act with partiality. Ancient Rome was a highly hierarchical 
class-focused society, the public display of and, and the recognition of your status was considered an essential part of, of the culture, the social um, grounding in which they lived. There were even laws around what sort of clothes you could and couldn't wear because they connected you directly to the class in which you were placed. And so favoritism, partiality were very much just an accepted part of the world in which James and the people he's writing to lived. But James says, as followers of Jesus, as people who are in Christ, we are not to be like the world. We are not to be like this. We are not to be those who show partiality. We're not to be caught up in class and status and position. And the reason for this, he says, is because it is antithetical to the word of truth. It is in complete contrast to the gospel. It is everything that the gospel is not. And James gives us three very powerful theological truths to show us, to make clear why this is the case. And James says the first truth of the gospel that makes it clear why we cannot act like this is the truth that Jesus is the Lord of glory. Let me just read the first part again. It says, My brothers and sisters, believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ must not show favoritism. What does James mean here when he says we are believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ? Well, he is saying that Jesus is the very glory of God. In the Old Testament, God's glory, his manifest presence was made known in the tabernacle and then in the temple. But then when Jesus came to earth, we read about it in John chapter 1, God's glory resided in him. And today the glory of God also dwells in the believer individually and the church collectively. And James says, if you understand the glory of God, the glory of Jesus Christ, you will be a people of justice and mercy. How is that? How is that the case? Well, he is actually hearkening back to Genesis chapter 1, 2, and 3, where Genesis tells us, God tells us that every human being is made in the image of the glory of God. Imago Dei is the theological term. And because people are made in the image of the glorious God, it means they are precious. Every single person is precious, they're infinitely valuable. They have God's glory in them in a way. Dr. Martin Luther King in his work, The American Dream, says this. He says, you see, the founding fathers were really influenced by the Bible. The whole concept of the Imago Dei, as it's expressed in Latin, the image of God is the idea that all people have something within them that God injected. And this gives them a uniqueness, it gives them worth, it gives them dignity, and we must never forget this. There are no gradations in the image of God. And then he says this, I love this part, every man from a treble white to a bass black is significant on God's keyboard, precisely because every man is made in the image of God. How good is that? And James says, this is the truth of the gospel, that Jesus is the Lord of glory and that people are created in the image of the glory of God. And that is why we cannot show partiality. The second reason Jesus says, James says that we are not to show favoritism is because the gospel of truth that God, this, the gospel truth that God has chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith. Listen to how he says it again, verse 5. He says, Listen, my dear brothers and sisters, has not God chosen those who are poor 
in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith and to inherit the kingdom he promised those who love him. But you have dishonored the poor. What does Jesus mean here? Does he mean that rich people cannot get into the kingdom of God, that only poor people can? Well, if that is the case, every single one of us here this morning are in big trouble because by the world's standard, every single person living in Australia is incredibly rich. Over 1 billion people in our world today are living on less than $1 per day. Over half of the world's population lives on less than $10 per day. We are all incredibly rich. And so if this is the case, rich people cannot get into the kingdom of God. Every single one of us are in trouble today. But thankfully for all of us, this is not what James is saying. And we know this, that in the Bible there are examples of rich, righteous people and poor, righteous people. And on the other hand, there are examples of rich, unrighteous people and poor, unrighteous people. So getting into heaven is not, coming into the kingdom of God is not dependent on whether we are rich or poor. Praise God for that truth. But what James is saying is a couple of things. The first is this, it's the simple fact That throughout history, in general, the people who have embraced the gospel have not been the well-off and the powerful, but it's always been the humble and the poor who've embraced it first and foremostly. The reason for this is because the gospel says that all of us are spiritually poor. All of us are spiritually bankrupt. Jesus said in the Beatitudes, he said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. And what does it mean to to be poor in spirit? It means to say, I am spiritually bankrupt. It means to be spiritually poor. It means to come to God and to say, God, do you know what? I am in debt to you. I am so indebted to you that a debt repayment schedule will not help. I'm utterly bankrupt. Spiritually, I'm in rags. Spiritually, I'm homeless. Spiritually, I have no resources. I have nothing. And I need your mercy and your mercy alone. That's what James is talking about here. You see, when the poor people hear that you have to admit that you are helpless, that you have to be saved only by throwing yourself on God's grace, they hear this and they say, yeah, I I understand that. I've been there. I know what that's like. That's not hard. I, I can do that. But when rich people hear it, that you have to admit that you're a helpless sinner, that you need to be born again, washed in the blood of the Lamb, they they can feel like, well, that's offensive to me after all that I've done and achieved. But remember in James 1, we learned that the grace of God makes the rich man poor because he cannot depend on his wealth. And it makes the poor man rich because he inherits the riches of grace in Christ. This is the gospel truth, that we are all equal at the foot of the cross. We come on an equal footing, no matter what our background, no matter what our story or our status, we come equally to the foot of the cross. One author says this, when Jesus died, he broke down the wall that separated Jews and Gentiles, but in his birth and life, Jesus broke down the walls between rich and poor, young and old, educated and uneducated. This is the good news of the gospel. Such good news. But even more than this, James is also talking about Jesus himself when he talks about God has chosen the poor to inherit these things. 2 Corinthians 8, 9 says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that that you through his poverty might become 
rich. And, and James is reminding us how we treat the poor is related directly to how we treat Jesus himself. Jesus was not born in a palace, was he? He was born in a stable. The first people to welcome Jesus' arrival were, were poor shepherds, the lowest rung on the social ladder, the outcasts. He came from a backwater town called Nazareth. He had no wealth. Jesus was functionally homeless. We read in Scripture that he had no place to lay his head. This was our Lord and Saviour. This is how he chose to come. And in Matthew 25, Jesus says these words, And the righteous will answer him, Lord, when do we see you hungry and feed you? Or thirsty and give you something to drink? When do we see you a stranger and invite you in or needing clothes and clothe you? When do we see you sick or in prison and go to visit you? And the king will reply, truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. Powerful, isn't it? Challenging. You see, God has chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith. And this gospel truth means that we need to love and, and honour all people, that we need to live, live in a way that demonstrates that to our world. And the final reason we're not to show partiality is the gospel truth that mercy triumphs over judgment. Let me read this last part again. It's powerful. If you really keep the royal law, it says, verse 8, found in Scripture, love your neighbours yourself, you are doing right. What is, why is it called the royal law? Why does James refer to it in this way? Well, it's because it's the law that rules all the other laws that God has given us. Remember Jesus, when asked, what is the greatest commandment of the law? He said this in Matthew 22. He said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it, love your neighbour as yourself all the laws and the prophet, all the law and the prophets hang on these two commands. This is the royal law. Right? Everything else hangs on these two laws. And James continues verse 9. He says, But if you show favoritism, you sin and are convicted by the law as lawbreakers. For whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles at just one point is guilty of breaking all of it. And James is, is reminding us here that God's standard is perfection. If you break just one little part of God's law, you are guilty of breaking all of it. You might hear that and think, man, that is a bit harsh. That's a bit tough. But remember who God is. Remember that God is holy, that He is perfect, that He is pure, that He is completely without sin. He cannot handle even the tiniest little bit of sin. So the pass mark when it comes to God is not 50%. It's not a 50% grade, it's not a 70% grade, it's not even 99.99%. The mark when it comes, the standard when it comes to acceptance with God is perfection, James says. On Thursday night, I attended the Malian College graduation where a number of people here from Bridgman were graduating. It was such a joy to be there, to cheer them on, to celebrate with them. And on the front cover of your newsletter, Today that you received as you walked in or if you got the online version, you'll see there's a picture of Carly Oldham from our church um, with Peter Francis as well, the principal of the Malian College. And the reason she's on the front cover is because Carly won the prize for the best results for her degree, not just for Malian College, but for all of Australia, all the colleges across Australia studying the same award. She topped it. So a passing grade system, just to explain the scoring system, a one means you've got a pass, a two means you've got a credit, three means you've got a distinction, and a four means you've got a high distinction. Well, 
Carly's GPA for her whole degree, 24 subjects, not just one, her average was 3.87. That is a high distinction. Yeah, I reckon that deserves a massive round of applause. Huge. Massive achievement. And Carly actually was invited to make a speech that night. In her speech, she said something along these lines. She said these words. She said, I am only here tonight by the grace of God. And if you know Carly's journey, you know she wasn't just throwing that line out there. She was saying that from deep within her heart because of Carly's health journey, massive health challenges she's had. There's a number of times over the last couple of years where there was a, a very good chance she might not even survive to complete that degree. So she was getting up saying, I'm only here tonight by the grace of God. And more than that, Carly was also saying that, and I know this because Carly was so aware that when it comes before God in a spiritual sense, the standard is perfection. They're not even a high distinction average, not even a 3.87 is enough in a spiritual sense when it, we come before God. And she knows this. She's so aware that she can never meet that standard spiritually, but instead she needs to come humbly into God's presence, accepting his grace. And the reality is that not one of us can meet that standard. Not one of us here can meet perfection. But the good news is that Jesus came that he left the glory, the riches of heaven, that he came into the world to be our saviour, that he perfectly fulfilled the law. He lived the perfect life we could never live. And then he died the death that we deserved. He died that on the cross, taking on our sin, the sin of the world for us. And now James says the good news is that if we are in Christ, if we have come to him in faith, we are no longer under the law that leads to death, but now we are under a new law, the law of liberty, the law of freedom. Listen to how he finishes. He says, speak and act, verse 12, as those who are going to be judged by the law that gives freedom now. Because judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. Mercy triumphs over judgment. When we come to Jesus in repentance and faith, rather than being shown judgment, we have been shown mercy through Jesus, just like my dad did to me on that day in the camp. In the same way, God has done this for each and every one of us through Jesus. And James says, because God has shown you that sort of mercy, Instead of judgment, now we must live and act the same way towards others. We need to be a people full of mercy, full of grace, full of humility because of all that Jesus has done for us. And there's a stern warning in here for all of us this morning. James says there in verse 13, he says, Judgment without mercy. If you're in Christ this morning, if you know this, if you've experienced the mercy of God, this is for you. If you haven't, this doesn't apply to you. But if you're in Christ, this is the, this is the word to you. He says, judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. James says, this is no small thing here. Living in this way towards others is no small thing. This is not to be treated lightly. He says, having a merciful attitude is one of the evidences that you are truly alive in Christ. In the eyes of God, if we do not show mercy, then it is one of, one of the, the most scary places to be in many ways. But we need to give thanks this morning 
that our God is a God of mercy and not judgment, and we can come to him this morning. So let me ask you this morning, how are, how are your relationships with others? How are your attitudes towards those around you? Are you displaying mercy in those relationships? Are there any situations where you're holding on to bitterness or anger, resentment, rather than forgiving and, and showing grace? Are there situations or circumstances where you've found yourself falling into a judgmental attitude, critical and looking down on others rather than displaying compassion and understanding and kindness to people in those situations? Have you found yourself in situations where rather than loving your neighbour, you're full of jealousy or you find yourself speaking poorly about others to bring them down? Are there times where you have pursued status or position or recognition rather than seeking to live humbly in the service of others? And have you fallen into a place where rather than being generous with the resources God has given you, you have begun channeling those resources primarily for your own wants and desires rather than stewarding them for his kingdom, knowing that it all belongs to him anyway and using it to bless those in need in our world? These are confronting questions for all of us today. We're all looking in the mirror again this morning. And if any of these apply to you, and, and, and I think this is all of us here this morning, every single one of us, the right response is to come humbly in repentance before a merciful God. That's our response today. And to put things right where we need to this week. There might be some faith action steps here. For some, it might be seeking forgiveness. For others, it might be a change of attitude and a situation towards others. For still others, it might be giving generously to bless those in need. But for every single one of us, we cannot do this on our own. We need His help. We need the help of the Holy Spirit. We need His empowering. The good news is it was Jesus who said, Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. He promises to help us. And so today we can be full of thanks to our great God. Because on the cross and through his resurrection, his mercy truly has triumphed over judgment. And this is life transforming. This is the good news of the gospel. To finish our service today, we're actually going to celebrate in a baptism. And normally we do it earlier in the service, but Sarah's testimony she's going to share in a moment is just captures this passage, this truth. It's like the Holy Spirit just wove it all together for today perfectly. And I know her story is going to bless you enormously. Sarah started coming here to the church um, because some of a couple of our young adults actually moved in next door to Sarah. Talk about loving your neighbour. They literally were doing that. Moved in next door, started chatting over a fence, and Sarah eventually ended up at one of our family services back in the middle of COVID. And her journey from there has been amazing. I'm going to invite Sarah to come on up, actually, and... Some of her friends and family are going to come and join her up on the stage here. While they're coming up here on the stage, a key part of Sarah's story was love and care she received in a very challenging part of her journey from um, the team at Nexus Care over at Nexus Church. It's such a powerful part of Sarah's story, the body of Christ working together, churches working together to see lives blessed and transformed. And a couple of the team from Nexus Care are here this morning. Give us a wave. Some of the crew from Nexus here. Can we, um, church, just thank these guys for the part you've played. We want to honour you and thank you this morning. And we are so glad to be able to share together, partner together as God's kingdom here this morning. And so now I'm going to invite um, Sarah to come and to share. This is Sarah. This is Sarah's mum and dad, Richard and Rosemary as well. Rosalind, sorry. Great to have you here. 
And this is Sarah's daughter, Olivia Faith as well, who's here this morning. So can we welcome them all as they come and Sarah comes to share her story now. Okay, hello. My name is Sarah and my journey to our Lord Saviour really began at the beginning of my life. However, this journey of mine really was a slow burn to say the least. I was born into a beautiful family. I was the third of four daughters born to parents that showered us with love and continued to show us Christian values that their parents had taught to them. We were a deeply close family, mum, dad and us four girls. I always felt different to my sisters. I struggled with discipline as I continued to fail to bow down and conform. I fought against authority and I played by my own rules. At 14 years old, my rebelliousness got out of control, but my parents continued to try and never ever stopped showing me their love. In my late teens, I decided to marry a man I thought my parents would love for me. He was the complete opposite to me, and I thought that my family would think that he would calm me down. He was my best mate, but I did not know what love was. I hoped I was finally accepted and my wild ways were of the past. We married and travelled the world and had two beautiful sons together, Dylan and Reese. During the 10 years of being with my husband, I stopped thinking about God at all. I was 29 years old when I ended my marriage as I realised my self-serving, delinquent attitude had only been subdued. I realised how much I did not know what love was as God is love. And without him, I was completely unable to love in this relationship like he deserved. I had my two little boys and I felt that I did not need Jesus or anyone else telling me what to do. Oh, Heavenly Father, how wrong I was. At 30 years old, I was swept up in a new relationship, still with my eyes and heart closed off from God. It was exciting, but driven by lust and greed. It wasn't long until I knew that this man abused a lot of illegal substances and not much longer after that had me sharing in it with him also. In no time, I was completely engulfed in this relationship. The deeper I fell into this relationship and even further, I separated myself from God to the point where I saw myself pushing my parents, my sisters and my ex-husband further and further away. Then things dramatically turned for the worst. I found myself in a toxic, controlling and very abusive relationship governed by addiction and crime. It was domestic violence at its most extreme and many attempts to leave often resulted in worse injury and control. I spent five years trying to escape addiction and extreme domestic violence, even shocking the authorities that I kept on surviving. Through this tumultuous time of my life, especially after years of ignoring God, it was at this time that I began to pray to Him again. I used to beg Him to protect my children, keep them safe. I'd beg Him to protect their eyes from what I could not stop them from seeing. I remember begging Him to set me free from this life of torture and pain. And these were my prayers. But soon enough, my begging turned to anger towards our Lord. And I remember yelling prayers and blaming Him for my own trials and temptation, accusing Him of forsaking me. 
After years of running and hiding, I finally escaped from this violent relationship and everything that went with it. And my family and I were finally safe from harm. Although my family and I were now protected, I found myself still so angry towards our Lord, for I did not understand why this had happened to me and I blamed Him for it all. But even when I kept fighting against God, I now see so clearly how He never ever stopped fighting for me. I know this because as I now look back, I see what I did not choose to see back then. I experienced a miracle through all the harrowing pain of my sons and I had endured. This miracle was made in the form of a baby, conceived from violence, a true gift from God that ended up saving my life and giving me the strength to go on. Our Lord knew I needed her, my daughter, Olivia Faith. The birth of my daughter managed to bond our son, my sons and I together in such a miraculous way that it began our healing from trauma. God directed us to churches and their charities who clothed us, housed us and counselled us. I remember at this time, I was accepting all God's gift from the, gifts from the people He had placed in my path to help me, but pushing the people away. It was around this time the Lord placed Nexus Care in front of me and I met the ladies who worked there and I have asked them here today. Nexus Care saw that I was broken and lost, took me under their wing to help me and tell me about Jesus. I remember telling them that I thought Jesus had forsaken me and that I was giving up on life. They persevered with me, prayed for me and never stopped trying to help me feel His Holy Spirit. It wasn't long until I ended up shutting these ladies out also, for in my heart, I was still too blind to see. Very quickly, I ended up shutting the door on life with just four walls, my sons and my baby. I became a recluse in my own home. My trauma was devastating for everyone around me, including my children. I felt hopelessness and I was running from my mind. I failed to see what God had already done for me, for I was existing in the depths of despair, feeling controlled by sin and shame. Years went by. I was now 39 years old and still angry with life and everyone and blaming God for my brokenness through prayer. Then something happened that no one could have ever predicted in my family's life. It changed my whole outlook on the last 10 years forever and nothing was ever to remain the same again. I was about to embark on the undeniable ultimate experience of fear, then light that conquered all darkness forevermore. My eldest son, Dylan, went from an always athletic, strong, healthy boy to a comatosed ICU stroke patient predicted to die at only 13 years old. The night of his stroke, Jesus placed in my heart the urgency that Dylan sleep next to me in my bed instead of his own bed. And praise Jesus, I did. In the early hours of the morning, before the sun was rising, I looked over to my son and his right side of his face and body was drooped, sagging and paralysed. I called triple zero immediately and we were raced to the hospital. After CTs and MRIs and multiple tests, the doctors found very large and very rare pus clusters on his brain from a brain infection that was resistant to all known antibiotics. 
My father stepped in and looked after Reese and Olivia and my mother stayed by my side while I stayed by my son's bedside. Praise our Lord for the parents He gave. For as difficult as I have been for them, they have never ever forsaken me and I thank Jesus for that every day. Um, It was midnight when Dylan in ICU took an even bigger turn for the worse. They sat me down and showed me a picture of Dylan's brain and told me they need to remove three quarters of his skull in order to try and save his life. But it wasn't looking good. After everything my children and I had already been through, this was by far the most frightening, frightening fear I'd ever experienced. They told me they did not believe they could save my son, but they were going to try and that I was to spend those final time, 10 minutes with my son while he prepped for surgery. After Dylan was sent into theatre, my memory blacks out until I came to the realisation I was lying on the floor in the chapel of the hospital. Something so beyond miraculous happened to me in those long hours my boy was in surgery. I felt like I was being held in Jesus' arms. In that moment, our Lord Jesus released me of all my pain and I was not afraid anymore. He enveloped my whole being and healed my long broken anarchy heart of all my pain. This experience was so incredibly ultimate, I do not have enough words to describe. In that time, my son's skull was being removed and I was told my son would die. Jesus came down to me and gave me an undeniable sense of peace and freedom. It was the most beautiful experience of my life. Jesus replaced my heart and filled it with His love. My life and my heart have never been the same since. My first true encounter with God put me in heaven with Him for that whole time my son was in theatre and He has never left me since. The miracles have not stopped coming either. Nearly seven hours later and my incredible encounter with God, Dylan was out of surgery and to all the neuro team's surprise and with the skull removed, he was finally stable. Over the next few days, the medical researchers had finally created a trio antibiotic that began to fight this infection. Dylan spent the first five months of his recovery without a skull and starting again. He had to relearn how to walk and eat and talk all over again, but he never stopped smiling and neither did I, for something of not of this world was still holding me. My once a very negative heart of pain was now a brand new heart filled with hope, peace and love and it all overnight. Over those five months in hospital, God began placing random Christians in my path and it has not stopped from then. It has almost been three years since my special encounter with God and not a day goes by that I don't feel Him holding me close. Yes, my son miraculously survived that of only God could have done and I have been reborn into God's forgiveness and started this true relationship with our Saviour. No matter what has been presented my way, I have a sense of ultimate peace that surrounds me from the inside out that gives me no fear of this world. I have complete trust in Jesus to guide me through. Since this undeniable experience with Jesus, my trauma has been erased from my heart and I am high on life and love and God Himself. 
It is truly indescribable. What He gave me that night was a new beginning of everything beautiful and I am forever grateful to Him forevermore. I love, love, love talking about Jesus. I speak to Him so many times in a day and I do not care who knows it. I went from hating everyone to loving everything and all overnight and people can see it. He's given me the strength to forgive my past, the people in it and myself. It was Jesus that gave me a reason to live again and not just exist. And I am forever grateful to Him for that. I will never stop learning His Word and nurturing His Spirit from within me. You are my shepherd, dear Lord. I was living in darkness and governed by trauma and pain. You filled my broken heart with Your love and showed me Your light, even when I'd given up. It is You, dear Lord, that gave me a new beginning after years of drowning in evil anarchy and sin. You saved me when I was not worthy and I will forever be Yours. In the Name of Jesus, I surrender to You. Since really knowing You, I see how much You've been there for me, even when I was too proud to see. You continue to remain in me, even when I didn't in You. From the holy people You kept placing in my path, to that of filling my own heart with your forgiveness. You showed me what it's like to feel pure love and taught me how to forgive myself. For all that you are, I am forever in your mercy, for I am not worthy. You are my bright light. And because of you, I am free, my Father, my love, my Saviour. Lord Jesus, in your name, I thank you and we'll keep thanking you for the rest of my life. Amen. I should have warned you to get your tissues out before that story, I know. Praise Jesus, it's true. His mercy, it triumphs over judgment, life transforming. And I wanna say this morning, if you're here and you've never experienced that mercy in your own life, you're here watching online, you've never experienced the mercy of God that Sarah was explaining, sharing this morning, then you can experience that too. You can come to Him this morning in faith, repentance and faith. Say, Jesus, I come as I am. You don't have to clean your life up. You don't have to sort everything out. He says, come as you are. Receive my mercy and my grace and my salvation and I will change you from the inside out. That's the good news of the Gospel. So that's you this morning. Don't leave without responding. If you're online, let us know so we can encourage you and help you. We have one more really precious thing to do. Two more, in fact. We're going to have a baptism, but also Sarah has come to dedicate little Olivia Faith to the Lord as well this morning. How cool is that? Isn't that awesome? So yeah, yeah. Praise God. Olivia, you are a precious gift from God to your mum and to your whole family. And uh, you have a beautiful name. Your name actually means peace. Did you know that is what it means, Olivia? And your middle name, very significant, Faith. Olivia Faith. So peace and faith. What a combination. Isn't that an awesome combination? So I've got a verse for you today. This is what it says. Romans 5 says, Therefore, since we have been made right in God's sight by faith, We have peace 
with God because of what Jesus Christ, our Lord, has done for us. Isn't that amazing? So your name actually captures, isn't that incredible? Her name actually captures the gospel, just like that. Peace with God through faith in Jesus. That is a very, very special name. And you are a daughter of the King and He has an awesome plan and purpose for your life. And so I'm going to pray a blessing over Olivia's life right now. I'm going to pray a blessing over you. So let's pray together. Olivia, Faith Male, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make His face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up the light of His countenance upon you and give you His peace in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Can we put our hands together and just celebrate this morning? Isn't this good? They're going to head over to the pool. Make sure you get a front row seat. Olivia, right next to mum there. Mum's going to get baptised. While we do that, we're going to sing a song. So let's jump on our feet together. Sing these words of truth. That His mercy triumphs over judgment. And then we're going to celebrate around the pool together. Let's stand together as we sing. Give praise in our hearts to our great God. When Sarah was talking about baptism, she said, I think I want to be baptised in a river like Jesus. And I feel like we could make a river with our tears today. 
Um, but what a blessing it is actually to celebrate this as your family here in this place. And we are all blessed by God's mercy poured out on your life, Sarah. So as your family here together today, we want to join in prayer over you now. Join with me, church. Jesus, we're overwhelmed by your grace this morning. And you said, Lord, that those who have been forgiven much love much. And we thank you, God, for, the, for your love that we see in Sarah's life, God. For that passion and hope and life that comes from you that is hers today. Because you have given her a new heart and you have put a new spirit, your spirit in her. And God, we pray again today, Lord, for a filling of your spirit, a mighty outpouring of your spirit over Sarah, over her family, over us as your body here today, God. We honour you and praise you and thank you, God, because in you, Lord, represented in these waters here today, death is gone and life has come. We praise you and honour you and thank you, God, for your redeeming, your restoring, your renewing work. And today we're in this pool, God, to give all glory and honour and praise to you. Heavenly Father, we thank you. In Jesus' name, Amen. Sarah, do you confess Jesus Christ to be your Lord and Saviour? I do. It is on this profession of your faith and because you've requested it, that it is our privilege to baptise you in the name of the Father, the Son and the Holy Spirit.
church to thank our great God. He is so good. He is so worthy. He is incredible. If you want prayer this morning, then you come down the front. We'd love to pray for you, just to ask God to bless you, to help you. If you want to know more about what it means to accept that mercy in your own life for the first time, do come. If you came with someone, tell them to come with you this morning. We'd love to help you. If you're online, click on online as well so we can uh, link up with you there. Um, This morning after our service, our welcome lounge will be open. There's a welcome morning tea for new people as well, as Andrew mentioned, just across the courtyard. And uh, added to all of that too, we, we do have our, our National Church Life Survey. Andrew mentioned earlier, if someone want to hang around and do that survey, it'll be a blessing to us. It's online. You can scan it on the screen or there'll be some paper copies. But let me pray as we close our service. Lord, we thank You. What a, what a time together, Lord. So full of Your presence. Our hearts are overflowing with thankfulness and joy, Lord. The good news, the Word of truth, Lord, lives transformed. And so now, Lord, we pray. Fill us, Lord, now as we go out, as we live this truth out in our own lives, Lord, as we let it take root deep within us and then live this out, Lord, in our world. Help us, we pray, in those circumstances, those faith actions you want us to take this week. Empower us, we pray. We pray this for your glory so that many more will be drawn to you, we pray. And we ask this in Jesus' Name. Amen. Please be seated. Can we put our hands together for Sarah again once more time and all her family here. So good. God bless you. Thanks for sharing with us. Look forward to sharing again soon.